All right, Colossians 2, 5 to 10. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the element, elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lulu. Hi, everyone. Um, <clears throat> as Graham said, after spending a few days uh, researching and working on chapter 18 in Genesis, uh, I was brushing my teeth on Wednesday night and I felt the Lord impress on me that actually I needed to change topics and speak about something that many of us are dealing with at different levels right now and that is on fear, anxiety and hope. Now there is a lot of fear around at the moment isn't there? Um, I have certainly been feeling it lately with COVID here in the Waikato. COVID didn't feel so scary I don't think when it was in Auckland and our borders were closed. But suddenly it's no longer on our doorstep, but it's actually in our house. I mean that metaphorically, of course. Um, we don't actually have it here at the Corbin Commune. COVID is in the Waikato, and um, our local supermarket, Dinsdale, is, has been one of the hotspots. So it suddenly feels a whole lot more threatening, especially for those of us who have family members with underlying medical conditions. But it's not just the fear of the virus, I don't think. There are fears for financial and business health. Um, for those of you who are, who are business owners, you'll be feeling the pain of that. There's the fear of the vaccine. There's the fear of the divisions created between those vaccinated and non-vaccinated. There's fear of what vaccination passports mean. Uh, fear of what the future likes, looks like with COVID. Um, because uh, it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Fear of what, what will happen when the borders open. Fear of what will it mean for us when we gather together as churches and other groups of significant size. And what seems to be a big fear, I think, is that <clears throat> despite our advanced technology, uh, our monitoring tools, our biotechnology and our, and our healthcare systems, COVID is still getting the better of us. And all of these fears are reasonable fears. And to some degree, I think we all identify with something uh, and there'll be plenty of other fears as well that I haven't named. And as I said, I've found myself being fearful and anxious, especially for my kids and for Joshua, who was already has a compromised respiratory system. Now, I don't usually find myself an anxious person. Uh, I have my share, my fear of um, share of struggles in life, but anxiety hasn't traditionally been one of them. But I found myself really anxious the other night. I was losing sleep and I was thinking of all the worst possible scenarios. And that verse from 1 Timothy came to mind. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind. 
And I asked myself, how does this actually look in my life? Because I am feeling anxious. I do not feel like I am feeling love, power, and that I've got a sound mind right now. I found myself asking, what does my faith actually mean right now? How can my faith steady me through this storm? This is really the rubber meeting the road, isn't it? We aren't talking about a theory or a theological idea, but practical faith on the ground here and now. How do we live our faith in the midst of a pandemic? Why are we fearful as Christians? Why do we feel hopeless at times? We all know what's to come, don't we? We all know that God is victorious, but yet we still experience this fear and the sense of hopelessness at times. Now, I'm not going to be able to fully uh, unpack this today, um, but I do have a few things that I will touch on that might begin to unpack this question. And in my sermon preparation, I've been drawn to the book of Colossians. It's a wonderful book, and we've actually got a four-week book study coming up uh, at the end of the year. So for those of you who are sick of Genesis, the end is in sight. Um, and uh, But I guess we're having a bit of a preview today, and Graham will um, pick back up Genesis next Sunday. So if you've got your Bibles with you, or your phones, or however you read the Bible, turn with me to Colossians 2, 5 to 10, um, if you haven't already. Because I don't have a PowerPoint today, and it is helpful for you to see where I am in the text, um, and keep it open as I as I go. So uh, I'll just reread it again because it is short, uh, and I want us to just think about it uh, before we dive into it. For though I am absent in you from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So this passage in Paul's letter speaks to our situation really well. And in this in particular, it tells us what to do uh, to live in the spiritual fullness or how to live in the spiritual fullness of God, and also what not to do. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to start by looking at what we're not to do. Then I'll look at what we are to do and explore how does our faith in Christ really mean for us amidst these troubling times. And then I'm going to end by being very practical. How do we actually apply this in a time of crisis of fear and anxiety? What active responses can we do when we are feeling fearful or anxious? So firstly, what not to do? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Sometimes we are held captive by hollow philosophies without realising it, and as a result we feel anxious and hopeless. Did I just say the P word? Philosophy? Yep, I did. I'm going there. I'm going to talk about philosophy, but please don't switch off. It's important, and I've kept it as simple as I can, simply because I need to keep it simple for me to understand it, Philosophy was not my strong point, but it is important because we need to know what philosophies are around us 
uh, in the secular world. Cultural narr narratives and stories that tell us who we are and what our purpose is in life that are not the same as what we find in scripture. Now, some of these are obvious to us. Some of them are not, though. Some of them are more subtle, and we can discover that actually we've begun to allow it to sink into our subconscious before we've realized it, which is why it's important to think about what we actually believe deep down in the core of our hearts. Yes, we believe in Jesus, but do we also at the same time hold on to some of the false philosophies of the world at the same time? Now, Paul warns the church not to be taken captive by these competing philosophies, which are, as he says, hollow and deceptive. Hollow means empty and not life-giving. Deceptive means they appear good and attractive and life-giving, but they're actually something else. They are deception, deceptive, which is something in disguise. So belief in these hollow and deceptive philosophies, especially around the secular philosophy of hope, lead to anxiety and fear, which is why it's worth looking at them today, so that we can understand some of the discontent we might currently be feeling. Tim Keller does a great uh, summary in one of his talks about the Western culture and the rise of hope and how it has historically promised so much, but now it's falling apart and it's disintegrating, which is why we have such a large surge of, of anxiety and fear and hopelessness amongst many of our people the world, the world over. It's indeed proving a hollow and deceptive philosophy. And many of us Christians have subconsciously believed this philosophy too, or at least part of it. So just briefly, in cultures long ago, like in the Chinese cultures, the Hindus, ancient Babylonians, Greeks, Romans, uh, this ancient age of humanity believed that life was cyclical. All of human history was cyclical. It was an endless cycle of toil and frustration, and then times of good and prosperity, and then times of toil and decline, both within one's individual life, but also, probably more significantly, as a big cycle throughout history. So that was just a cycle. Some Greek philosophers, however, shifted in their thinking and believed that knowledge and the increase of knowledge led to an improvement in the way of life. So the more knowledge grows, the better life gets. Instead of a cycle, there became a linear progression upwards. Human life gets better with the trajectory going up and up, both within one's life, but more importantly for the whole of human history. And then Christianity entered the scene. And then there's this new idea of progress, driven by God who oversees everything, pulling history towards an end goal, as we see in the biblical uh, story. We see we start with a garden in Eden, and then we end up with a city in Revelation. Evil will be put down, everything will be made right in the end, and in the meantime, the downtrodden are given dignity and a new start. The poor are looked after, women and, cultures, uh, women and children suddenly have value, and there is human flourishing everywhere. There is progression everywhere. There is this new hope, huge hopefulness. And in a largely... Uh, Christian Europe, this got deep into the subconscious belief of culture and most people held on to this hope. And then in, in 1750 we got the Age of Enlightenment, which was really just the age of reason, where people began to uh, cast aside God. God was no longer important because we could actually reason our way through things. We could understand and explain most things. Therefore, we no longer needed God. God was just made up. We don't need him. And the belief continued from the Greeks that actually the more we know, the better life will continue. But what's important 
is they didn't let go of the idea of human progress, which originated from the biblical story. And then the secular Western idea of progress got more powerful with people like Hegel, who spoke about a world spirit, and then Darwinism, of course, which teaches that there is a progression of species. The weaker left behind in the future is better than the past. History is always moving towards a stronger species and a stronger society. The future is always going to be better than the past, and this is the secular view, um, or the secular philosophy of hope. The future will be better because knowledge and technology are helping us make a better future for ourselves. And then we got to the modern era and we hit a particularly bad 30 to 40 years, which most of us didn't live through, uh, or at least we can't remember. Uh, there was World War One, and then there was the Spanish flu pandemic. Then there was the Great Depression. And then finally, there was World War Two. So this philosophy of history getting better and progressive hope for the future uh, suddenly got very shaken. Uh, a lot in part was because knowledge and technology was used to harness evil. But that whole uh, future hope of life just continuing to get better got severely shaken. Now since then, of course, we've had a relatively easy time with knowledge and technology further increasing to make our lives easier, which because we didn't really live in that uh, really difficult uh, 30 to 40 years we've been easier to jump back on the bandwagon of yep life's going to get easier because the more technology we have the more life is going to get uh, better and Barack Obama himself and others keep saying in their speeches about 20 years ago we're living on the right side of history there has been a revival in this hope and of course in recent years the revival of hope has been shaken again just think about it, we've had terrorism attacks around the world, we've had rogue nations who would just like to push a nuclear bomb detonator, we've got climate change, we've got technology rising to such a point it's almost become a monster we can't control, we've got surveillance, we've got fake news, we've got algorithms which tell us what we want to hear when we try to research so that we can't actually do credible research on anything anymore, we've got the rise of mental health issues, Suicide, depression, um, the birth rates are dropping in the West. And then, of course, we have this COVID pandemic, which doesn't show any sign of going away. And actually, in many places, we see the increased knowledge and technology using increasingly to cause harm and spread the work of evil and destroy others. So the philosophy of this world, which says we are getting better as a human race as we discover and employ more technology and knowledge, that we will reach an easy state of life and we will flourish, and that there is no God behind it all, all hope for humanity lies within ourselves. This philosophy is being shaken. It's being exposed as hollow and deceptive, and it's falling apart. And what's worse is that this philosophy also goes hand in hand with the philosophy of ultimate oblivion. So the secular philosophy of human progress without God re results in the belief of ultimate oblivion. What does that mean? Well, if you don't believe in God, then when the sun in our solar system expires, boom, we're all gone. Humans are a blip in time in this universe, on this floating rock called Earth. And one day... Uh, no one will be here and no one will remember anything because we're all gone and the sun 
has burnt out. And it actually happens way before the sun dies because, I mean, who remembers all the millions of people who lived only a few generations ago? Do you remember the name of your great-great-grandparents? Do you remember anything about them other than their name? You could probably look their names up. This breeds a very hopeless humanity because it's actually very contradictory when you think about it. On one hand, the world philosophy says life is getting better and better the more you discover technology and we improve our human knowledge. But in the end, also nothing really matters because when we die, we die and that's the end. It's all really for nothing. So it's no wonder we are feeling shaky as a human race. It's no wonder we have this anxiety running rampant amongst us. It's no wonder people are wondering what the point of life is all about. We still have this deep belief in the progress of humanity and a deep-seated hope for us, though, because it is actually a God-given belief. It's planted deep within our hearts, a longing for flourishing in the fullest sense because um, once we die and we are reunited with God when there is no more pain or no more trouble, that is something that God has placed deep within the hearts of every single person. And C.S. Lewis writes, and mere Christianity about that deep longing that he has placed inside all of us, that we are restless until we find God's hope in a real and a personal way. This hope is real and it's good, but with God, only with God is the source and is is a source of this of this hope. And when that's left out of the equation, like in the secular philosophy, then we have this huge problem. As Christians, we put, of course, God back in the equation. He is our only source of hope. But we also can unknowingly hold on to aspects of this worldly, hollow and deceptive philosophy. The worldly philosophy which says life will get better and better means most people without God at the centre of their lives strive to make life better and better for themselves. They work hard, they buy comfortable houses, they buy luxury items. Also life can be easier for themselves and more pleasant in the areas that they can control they do, and they provide buffers for the best of their ability for the areas that they can't control. For example, if financial uh, strife comes along, they save money so that when that happens, they are okay. They have medical insurance for when health changes, facelifts and Botox for when the wrinkles come, euthanasia for when death is inevitable. And that's probably the extreme, but the point what what that I hope I'm communicating here is that... Um, the hope for a life that gets easy and problem-free, the more we have and the more technology and the more knowledge we have, um, which might be for someone oh, when my kids are older or when I hit retirement or when we have that bit much more money or when we have that car or that wardrobe, that's when life will get easy and hurdle-free. It's actually a really false hope that is sold to us everywhere. And that's another talk for another day, so I won't go there. But as Christians, we believe to this at varying degrees too sometimes. And I think a lot of this is because we gloss over the hard parts of Jesus' life and we pick and choose what we want for scripture. Uh, for example, there are there are so many examples, but I've just picked two. Passages like Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and harm you, not uh, to give you a hope and a future. That was one of my favorite passages when I was a kid. When we take these passages and out of context uh, and interpret them to mean prosperity and fruitfulness in life in worldly ways, a life getting easier and the desires of our hearts all met. And then suddenly we're gutted when it doesn't turn out like that. God does want to prosper us, but in kingdom ways, 
not in worldly ways. And then another one, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Most of you will be familiar with this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We so often interpret path straight to mean an easy path, free from hurdles, suffering, hardship. If only we trust in God enough, life will be easier. Our path will be straighter in that sense. The twists and turns eliminated. But actually, when you look at the Greek word used in that text, it actually means straight in the ethical, upright sense, the godly sense. Trust in the Lord and he will make your path an upright one. As you walk, oh, you will walk as he calls you to walk. And Eugene Peterson nails it in the message translation. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Therefore, when these hardships come, when suffering comes, when COVID pandemics hit, if we've got this false or slightly warped theology, we actually don't know what to do. We don't have a robust theology to hold us in times of uncertainty. See, God never says in the Bible that life goes from strength to strength. He never said that progression um, or that progress is towards comfort, free from suffering in this life, a progression upwards as the philosophy of this world preaches. God actually calls us to follow the life of Jesus. And he because mo- Jesus models what the Christian life truly look like, looks like and where human hope lies. When we actually look at the life of Jesus, I mean, actually really look at the life of Jesus. We see he actually suffered a lot. He went through a lot. He never had an easy road, a straight flat road without hurdles. He went he ended up being tortured and crucified and dying. His life was not a progression linear upwards, but it was a V shape. He had to die in order to reach new life. Now a massive theme of the Bible uh is God bringing strength out of weakness, isn't it? We see characters like David. He is a weak kid too small to too small to fit the armour of a soldier, and yet God uses him when he is at his weakest to show his glory and to kill Goliath. Joseph also at his weakest, in the depths of an ancient jail, and at the point and that point was when God stepped in to use him to save the rest of Israel from famine. And we need to realise that if we're going to follow the way of Jesus, we can't hold on to the philosophy of the world at the same time. As Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. So then, what do we do? Now I'm going to give you 10 seconds to stand up and to stretch because I know that that was a lot. So stand up, stretch, let's take 10 seconds, look at something green, look out the window, look at the grass or if you've got trees out your window, look at the trees or look at a pot plant if you're inside and you don't have a window. Sometimes we fall asleep when we talk about philosophy. All right. I remember our lecturer used to do this and I never understood why and now I understand why. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do in order to live as followers of Jesus Christ, which will better enable us to stand firm in times of anxiousness, in times of pandemic? We look at the life of Jesus and the hope he offers. In verse 6, Paul writes, Just as you received 
Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught in Christ. Oh, in Christ, call of, he is the fullness of the deity lives, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Christ is our only hope. Okay, okay, but that sounds so cliche. How does that actually impact my life, Sarah? This is the dialogue that's going on in my head when I read these sorts of passages. Okay, we're going to get really practical. If you're writing notes, there are five things to do. Firstly, examine your philosophy. Spend some time this week exploring what your heart really believes. Have you been captured by a hollow and deceptive philosophy about hope and where hope comes from and what life's about? Spend time with God exploring how you may need to realign what you believe the Christian life is about and where your real hope lies. So that's the first thing. And a good way to do that is to spend some time in the Gospels, looking at the life of Jesus. Does what you believe life is like match up to the life of Jesus? So that's the first, examine your philosophy. Second, get captivated by real hope. When we put aside the hollow philosophy that says life will get easier, the more knowledge and money we have, and that we can hope for life to get easier, and when we replace that with the hope that we find in Christ, everything changes. The hope that we have in Christ is that when we make him Lord of our lives and we live our lives with him as front and center, we have this wonderful promise of an eternal hope that far outweighs the hope promised by this world. Where the world says you can have hope in a life that is comfortable in all the areas that you can control and then when you die it's all over, the Christian hope is that although life is difficult, Scripture never pretends that it isn't, God promises to be with us in the midst of it all. But when you die, it's not all over. You enter into a place of human flourishing that is far better than anything you could possibly hope for, right there in the presence of God, and it never ends. As we read in Revelation 21, all evil is wiped away, everything is made right. Again, the message translation, I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone. All the first order of things gone. Look, I am making everything new. Secular philosophy has no match for what God offers. And I think for many of us Christians, the hope that lies in eternity is not real enough in our hearts. It hasn't captured us enough. Because when it does, everything else fades in significance. Sufferings and anxieties and troubled days are easier to, faith, to, to face when we have this tangible hope of what's to come and our heart is truly captivated by uh, the peace that God offers us and the hope that God has for us. And I don't think there's anything more powerful than watching someone either suffer or die who has had their heart captivated by the hope of heaven. I've got a friend whose dad died from cancer far too young. Uh, too young to grow old with his wife, too young to watch his uh, daughter walk down the aisle or to be a grandparent. There were so many things to grieve. And he did grieve those things. He was real. Uh, but yet the way his heart was captivated without fear um, sorry, the way his heart was captivated by the hope of eternal life meant that he could walk out the end of his journey without fear, without anxiety, and it enabled him to stay strong in his faith to the very end. 
And when he did feel fear, uh, or when he did have anxiety, it didn't destroy him. He worked through it well. He walked his faith strong to the end, and it was totally inspiring. And he actually wrote a really inspiring paper in the last few weeks of his life about this hope that he had in the life to come. But it's not just hope for then, when we die, it's also hope for us now as we live in this world. Which leads us to the guidance that Paul gives us. What are the imperatives that Paul gives us in this passage? Let's look at it. Continue to live your lives in him. Don't give up. Keep walking with Jesus. Keep praying, reading scripture, rooting yourself in him so that the philosophies of this world don't deceive you and captivate you instead of the love of God. So what does this actually look like practically? So I've given you the first two points. The third point, the third practical thing, is bounce your anxieties to God. There's another famous verse, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you in 1 Peter 5. Take your anxiety to him, your worries, your concerns, because he cares for you. And you will have them. You will have these fears and you will have anxieties. Although we have this incredible hope for the future and the assurance of God with us, we are still human and we still live in a world where there is pain and frustration and hurdles. Don't allow your fears to swamp you though. Take them to God in prayer. You don't need to search deep inside yourself for some strength of courage and hope. You don't need to read another self-help book. You don't need to go on some meditative walk except if you're doing it in prayer to God. Take your fears and your anxieties to God in prayer. Turn to him because he is always with you, whether you feel it or not. He says he is your hope here and now. I have sent my spirit, God says, the Holy Spirit, to empower you and to fill you and to keep you standing amidst these anxiety-inducing times. So third was bounce your anxiety to God. Fourthly, refocus your mind replace the bounced anxiety thoughts with heavenly things in chapter 3 of colossians paul says set your hearts on things above where christ is think about the hope you have in christ both now and in the eternal future think about the supremacy and the majesty of god the other night when i was feeling really anxious that i said and i was not feeling peace i was feeling worried stressed out mostly about the kids getting covid um, especially since it's here in our local supermarket. And I had to stop my thoughts. I had to arrest them before they overpowered me. And I closed my eyes. So that was me bouncing my anxieties up to God. I said, God, I've got to, I'm sending these anxious thoughts back to you. And I closed my eyes and I thought about God. So I'm refocusing my mind. I'm trying to fill my mind with heavenly things. And I thought about God. Now, here's what I thought about. Do you remember when Graham uh, spoke about way back in the beginning of our Genesis series about the whole cosmos, the mind-boggling size of the cosmos, which we can't even begin to imagine in our puny brains. Uh, it's a phenomenal expanse that's only just big enough to contain the presence of God in his throne. And when I thought about how majestic, so in my mind I'm closing my my eyes and I'm imagining the hugeness of our of our universe and I'm imagining God just filling every single part of that. Uh, how huge he is, how powerful he is, how magnificent he is. 
and it, it began to fill me with confidence. He really is above all things. And it didn't take away the COVID threat and the very real possibility of one of us getting COVID or the other issues going on. But I had this peace. I began to get this perspective. And I invited that peace and that assurance into my heart in that moment so that the clamor of my anxiety could be silenced. And I thought how huge God was and how incredible that it is he would to bring come to earth as a mere human and allow himself to be killed by humans as an act of love to save us from ourselves and all the empty philosophies that we would rather hold on to. And that brought me to a place of huge gratitude and wonder. And I went from being this anxious mess that Paul Graham had to deal with to this um, genuine peace. I sat here with genuine peace. Even though the circumstances hadn't changed, I just felt this peace of God with me. The next day I had to do it again. I had to spend time reading through Colossians rather than mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. Uh, but it, it was something that I just had to actually make sure I did. Otherwise, this anxiety was going to overcome me. And that's what we all need to do because anxieties will come. Fear will come. COVID pandemic and illnesses and financial hard times will keep coming this side of eternity. The way to eternal life is not a trouble-free road. I wish I could say otherwise, but it's not. But when we focus on the eternal hope that we have in Jesus in the presence of him here with us now, when we time, spend time in scripture reprogramming our mind to the only hope that is not hollow and deceptive, that's when we can fully walk in genuine fullness of hope. So my last and final point is to be thankful. Paul writes in 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. It's hard, especially when we're feeling anxious, what the heck can I be thankful for? But find one thing that you can be thankful for. Giving thanks redirects your mind and refocuses your mind. And as you do, you make room for the peace of God to take over. And that pushes the fear out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that... As it says in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, we can indeed trust you and not lean on our own understanding or on the secular worldview's understanding of hope. But we can come to you, bringing our anxious thoughts to you, and trust that you will lead us in the way you call us to live, living an upright life, one that is of genuine flourishing despite what we encounter through life. As we walk through these current challenges, especially to do with this pandemic, Lord, we ask that you would help us to turn to you with our fears, setting our hearts on the hope that you have for us. Captivate our hearts with who you really are and what you have for us and how we can really walk as your people. Help us to see that you are the only way to life and the only source of hope. And we ask that you would fill us with your spirit now so that we can stand as your people. Amen. All right, thank you, Sarah, for that. That was uh, wonderful. And so good to be reminded of the importance of uh, meditating on the bigness of God and... Uh, 
the blessings of his presence and to be focused on him rather than focused on our, our present circumstances. Um, I was going to do a, a time of uh, confession and repentance. If, if uh, you feel that um, well, any of us have, have felt that we have been more fearful than, than faithful or um, more terrified than um, being at peace in the Lord. Um, but I might just uh, invite you to do that later on today. Uh, if you've been conscious of uh, this undercurrent of anxiety in, in yourself, uh, just spend some time this afternoon or, or whenever um, confessing that to God and repenting, t turning away from it and uh, turning to God and receiving his peace and his joy. So um, what we're going to do now is go to breakout groups. So um, Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so and and also afterwards, if you if you haven't checked out the uh, the worship uh, songs in our Facebook uh, YouTube link, sorry, uh, feel free to click on those afterwards as well. <clears throat> yeah, and they will uh, cement what we've been discussing this morning. So uh, now we're going to go to breakout groups. Feel free to uh, discuss whether you've been feeling anxious or um, upset. And maybe pray for each other, and uh, yeah, really, really invite the pe the peace and the presence of God uh, into uh, yourselves and each other. So thanks, Mickey, if you take us into our breakout groups.